Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. I got to visit my mother-in-law, Una, this week, uh, this past weekend, and um, it was a joyous visit. We got to share words of prayer and comfort as she's struggling in her battle with cancer. In fact, she's in the hospital right now, and it hurts my heart because it's a difficult time. And I know she's just one of many of God's people who are suffering right now, one of many people throughout this broken world that are impacted by by strife, by pestilence, by fear, by sickness, by broken families, and by disrupted relationships. And my emotion, I'm letting it out because this is so important. This is one of these topics that people love to delete from the Bible. They love to ignore it. They love to flip to chapter 6 of Ephesians, specifically chapter 10, because they don't like the first nine verses of Ephesians either. It's because God is coming to you and to me today to tell us something that will set us free, not imprison us. So many people look at this text and they're like, oh, the Bible's out of date. It was written thousands of years ago and they don't understand how much modern humans have evolved and become understanding of all these things. And it's just like, have you seen the world? Have you looked at the world, our modern sensibilities, our tremendous understanding of how to do relationships? I, 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 I'm so upset because with, with this scripture, we have the cure to our brokenness in our relationships. We have the answer, and instead our highfalutin reason gets up on top of scripture and squashes it and say and we say thing either that it's out of date or it doesn't mean what it says i have to tell you how often i talk to people and they'll be like why do you believe what you believe and i will read them a passage of scripture and they're like yeah but it doesn't mean that <laughs> and i'm like but that's what it says and this is the thing that we you and i are called to as followers of jesus to put our trust in him. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word. That's Jesus. He is the Word of God. Not just the Bible. The Bible certainly records his life, his work, and all of the stories of Israel that, that brought him to us, and all of the stories that, that go after him were the apostles, such as here in Ephesians, bring us the power of the Messiah. They set us free because of his great love. Remember chapter one of Ephesians. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Remember chapter two of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For you are God's workmanship created to do good works. And, and the continuing process of that is this powerful story of how he wants to bring all the people of the world together to unite them as one new humanity. This is God's word for you and for me. And he is he has brought us into church. And I know you're like, Mark, I'm not in church. I'm back. I'm home on my couch. I'm like, you are in church. According to God's word, where two or three are gathered, he promises to be with us. And he didn't say you have to be within a certain number of feet. 
Hear the voice of the Son of Man, John chapter 5. Hear his voice and live. This is the powerful promise of Jesus to you and to me. In chapter 4, he says that he he has sent servants to equip us so that we will be ready to participate with him in the restoration of all things. And here we are in chapter 5, and he says, submit. He says, submit. He says, be a submitter. He says, first of all, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another. But what does he say after that? Let's take a look. Verses 18, a little bit of 18, and then 20 to 22. Remember, be filled with the Spirit. That's what we learned last week. We are being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord. So many Christians will tell me, Jesus is my Lord. Is that right? Let's keep reading. Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another. Do you often think of yourself as a submitter? This is the question. And I am called here today to challenge you with it, not because I want to. Are you kidding me? I don't want to talk about any of this. I want to go back to that part about, let's, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. That's, that's, oh, that's much more comfortable to talk about. But we don't delete any scripture verses. We don't take any of them out. We listen to the chapter one. We listen to chapter two. We're also going to listen to all the other chapters. Submitting to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, because he's our Lord. And then he keeps going. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is the word submit doesn't actually appear in that sentence. It only appears in the submitting to one another in the Greek text. But in English, we need to have a verb in our sentences. This is kind of one of the things. We have verbs in our sentences. And so to continue the sentence, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. It's literally women submit to your men as to the Lord. So oftentimes in our history, and it must be stated, the church, yes, that's right, the church has abused this message. They have put men over women, lording them, controlling them, oppressing them, and abusing them, which is why we are culturally where we're at, is because then, there, then there's this correction. You know, we're over in one ditch, and the swerving of the wheel gets us all the way over into another ditch where we're like, delete this from the Bible. No. The brokenness of humans don't take away the truth of God. Did you catch that? The brokenness of humans doesn't take away the truth of God, the word of God. Of course humans have abused this, and we continue to. But not here and not today. What we're going to do is we're going to see the promises of God within this command, and it's a command. So if Jesus is your Lord, then do this. That, that's, that's, his, that's what he's saying. If Jesus is your Lord, then do this. And, and see, what happens is it's, people are like, yep, easy for you to say, Mark, you're a man. You don't have to submit. Wait a minute. What does it say right before that? Submit to one another. And we're going to find out that men have to do a whole lot of submitting. Take a look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself her Savior. So right off the bat, the Apostle Paul, carried by the Spirit of God, is saying to you and to me, the husband is, the man is the head of the woman. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. 
So once again, if you're sitting there, you're like, well, Mark, you're not helping your case about, I don't see any promises here. This just seems to be going downhill really fast. Because not only are the wives supposed to submit to the husbands, now you're telling us the husband's the head of the wife? Look, if you met my husband, you'll find out he's ahead of nobody, right? You know, that's where we start that conversation, and I understand all that. Take a look at the next passage, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. So we're reaching over into another letter that Paul wrote. He was talking about the same thing, and this is what he says. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this is critical if you miss this, then you might as well jump right back into deleting Scripture because what oftentimes is lost in this whole discussion is that Jesus submits. Did you catch that? Jesus submits. And I want you to think about his whole life. First of all, he was born as a baby. God Almighty born in a manger. Everybody's like, Mark, it's not Christmas yet. It will be soon. Remember, run, check the clock. And so, so he's, born into a, he's born into the flesh. He's put into a manger, and he's completely vulnerable. Of course, I think there was a few legions of angels protecting him. You know, we've, we've seen that. We see them in Luke chapter 2. The point being is this. He submitted to being into the likeness of a, of a person, of a man, of a human. And he went through life as a toddler. I've always wondered, what's Jesus, what was Jesus like as a toddler? He had no sin. I've never met a toddler who doesn't have sin, so I don't know what that looks like. I can't even, you know, does it make the, did it make his siblings mad? I'm like, you know, Jesus never gets in trouble, Mom. This isn't right. You know, so you did the whole thing. And so you just, you just follow the story, and, and, and then Jesus grows up, and, and, and he does all these things, and, and very reminded us at the grind last night, very rightly, when, they, when he was a teenager and they went to the temple, or maybe he was a preteen, somewhere in there, um, they went to the temple, and, you know, Jesus stayed around and wanted to talk to the scribes and everything, and their whole crew was headed back to home, and they're like, where's Jesus? And then, then, then his parents freaked out. Parents, have you ever freaked out when you can't find your kid? You know what that feels like, right? And so then they're running back, and they find him, and they were just really upset with him. So we do know there was at least one time Jesus got in trouble because he said, why wouldn't I be in my father's house teaching the scribes? And so this is, this is what we see, but yet it says then right after that, he subjected himself to them. He submitted to them. He went with them. And of course, I haven't even gotten to the good part yet, have I, where he submitted. I haven't even talked about the part where he submitted to Caiaphas, the high priest, the Jewish rulers, the, the, the religious authorities, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin, the Roman government, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, you know I have the power to crucify you or to let you go. And Jesus says, you have no power except that which was given from you to you from above. Jesus didn't have to, he wasn't on a power play. <laughs> he was standing there with all authority. I understand it was after he rose from the dead that all authority was given to him. I understand that. But still at that point, he had already told Peter the night before, listen, if, if you put your sword away, Peter, if I wanted to, I could summon 12 legions of angels. This, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. He was here for a different mission. And he wasn't going to conquer by standing up. Instead, he conquered by submitting you and I are in this situation 
every day. Not standing before Pontius Pilate or, or the Jewish rulers or, the, or the, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What we are doing is we're standing before the powers and the principalities of this dark world, and we see them biting and devouring, trying to stir humanity to bite and devour one another every single day. And we see it, and we feel it, and it makes us weary. I was talking to many people. This week was a fun week here at our new worship center because we put up some new stuff. We got, we got all kinds of things going. We're polishing and getting everything a little bit better than it was. It's coming along. So many people were coming by, and as they were doing it, they were sharing their hearts. Pastor, I'm really tired of this situation. I don't want to watch church on YouTube or Facebook anymore. And, and I don't want to stay away from my church family. I, I want to come here and be here with the people of God. And I have that same feeling. Are you kidding me? Just try preaching to a camera lens sometime. You'll see what it feels like. It's just, it's just, no, it's just not right, right? It's, it's not what we would seek out. And yet, God is working in the midst of all of it. And as people shared those feelings, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yep, just sit down and let it all out. Be honest with your emotions, just like I was about my mother-in-law, Yuna. It's not right. It's broken. And, and I pray for God's healing. And, and the Lord, I trust him no matter what he chooses to do. He has a plan in all of these things. He has given us a command, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Love your neighbor and Love your enemies. So think, you know, we're in the political season. Think of your enemies. Love them. That's what God says to do. And here is Jesus submitting to the Father. Submitting to the Father. Because ultimately, he didn't submit to Pontius Pilate. Ultimately, he didn't submit to Caiaphas. He submitted to the Father. And so he, in Philippians 2, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or obtained or reached out for. He doesn't need it. He is God. Instead, out of his great love, he died for you and he died for me. He submitted himself. He was obedient even unto death upon the cross. Take a look at verses 25 and 26. I agree. If the Bible said, wives, submit to your husbands, and then it just stopped there, I would want to delete that, that passage too. It doesn't say it that way. Look at what it says. Husbands agape, which means undeserved loving kindness. If you're one of the husbands who are sitting there, and remember, it's not just husbands, it's men. So maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you got a girlfriend. Maybe, you know, maybe you're thinking about these things, but you're not sure. I don't care. If you have a relationship of any kind, love your women. That's what it says. Men agape your women. That's what the Bible says. And agape doesn't mean well, if we get along and you like me and I like you and no, 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 no. How are you supposed to agape your wives? Undeserved loving kindness? Oh, exactly like Christ agaped the church. Now let's recount. How did Jesus love the church? Died for her? <laughs> was beaten for her? Was ridiculed for her? Was, you, on the list goes, he gave everything for her. So now the women are kind of like, hey, I kind of like this Bible passage all of a sudden, right? And, that, and that's what goes on, is that the scriptures are never trying to create a scenario where men and women are not equal in the eyes of God or in the eyes of men. 
at no time. Is the Father not equal to the Son in the Trinity? And yet the Son submits to the Father out of great love. So God is not calling the women to see themselves as subservient, subservient to their husbands. He is calling them to fill their God-given calling. And husbands, no less. And guess what, husbands? Your calling is higher. And by higher, exactly like Jesus, it means it's lower. Do you track with me? How low do you go? All the way to the tomb. Husbands, you go first. If you've got conflict in your marriage, you go first. Surrender. Submit. Lay down. Why? Because you love your woman. You love your wife. The relationship trumps your comfort. The care that you have for that person in your life goes, should go, as according to God's word, beyond whatever they have done or not done. Just exactly what Jesus did for us. Was it when we were righteous that Jesus died for us? Was it when we had all of our stuff together that Jesus died for us? Was it when you and I were just living good lives that Jesus died for us? Romans chapter five, verse eight, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for you and for me. He died for us to make us holy, not because we already were. And husbands, that is what you are to do for your wives. There's no scenario where husbands can oppress their wives according to the Bible. That's ridiculous. No more than Jesus oppresses us. Unless you count his dying and rising again as oppression. Maybe it's oppression for the dark forces who don't want to hear any of this. For us, it is freedom, it is restoration, it is hope. It is a path forward out of the darkness by the shining of his great light. Look what he says, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now we got to talk about that for just a minute, right? We got to talk about that. So first of all, he says sanctify. And you'll look at the top of our little graphic there. It has holy and right. Those are not the same thing. Oftentimes people just make the assumption that holy means righteous. But yet the Bible continuously uses two words, not one. It would just say righteous. It wouldn't say holy and righteous. Here it says sanctify and cleansed. Sanctify means to be made holy. You already were made righteous when Jesus died for you. Now this idea is that husbands are going to love their wives exactly like Christ loved the church and thereby make their wives holy. To sanctify them just the same way Jesus sanctified you and me, his bride, the church. And so this happens through the process of husbands laying down their lives for their wives. I have yet to meet anyone who doesn't want to be in a relationship where their spouse, their loved one, lays their lives down. Now, of course, my wife, Debbie's sitting at home right now going, I'm ready to see a little more of this exactly like Christ loved the church stuff, pal. And I would agree with her. And this is what happens when this scripture hits the husbands is we're all just like, whoo, you know, it's like that meme where, you know, the guy's like, stop it, Mark, cut it off right there. You know, it's like, that's the way we feel, right? Quit talking about this. Don't. And then again, we want to delete the Bible passages for new reasons. But look at how he cleansed his bride. Look at how Jesus cleansed his bride. He washed her 
with water, <laughs> with word. Well, hello, the Apostle Paul keeps bringing baptism up. He won't leave it alone. He's carried by the Holy Spirit. There must be something going on here. So here we have right in the middle of this talk about, well, what should women do? What should men do? Yeah, and here's Jesus sanctifying and cleansing the church by washing her with the water and with the word. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't ignore this. Don't delete this passage either. It is through baptism we are washed. It is through baptism. And, and, and again, baptism is water with the word, just like we see in this scripture. And so it's not just water. It's not just word. It's water with the word. Why? We don't know. It's called a sacrament. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. And yet it is the promise of God given to you and to me. So if you sit there and you're like, wait a minute, if baptized, then cleansed, that's what the Bible says, cleansed her by, by, not a symbol, this is actually how it happened, by the washing of water with the word. He put his name on you, he put his name on me through his activity, not ours. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is a gift of God, it is not from yourselves so that no one can boast. Grace is God's gift to you and to me Faith, I should say, is, and it's given by grace. It is faith that he gives to us. When does he give it? Right here. By washing of water with the word, we were cleansed. Take a look at verse 27. Why did Jesus do all of this for his bride? So that he might present the church, clearly not talking about a building here, in himself, to himself, I should say, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. I heard someone say this week, you know, a lot of people think we're living in the end times, and I'm like, sure we are. Hello, look around. But they'll, they'll start to try to, you know, you do newspaper theology. I don't know if you've ever seen newspaper theology. So you open the newspaper. Of course, nowadays, you, that's on your phone or your tablet or your computer. And you read the article, and you're looking for, you're trying to take that article and plug it into the book of Revelation or some other type of scripture that talks about the end times. And then all of a sudden, you're in a mess. And somebody said the church needs to get ready and make herself, this is what the person said, make herself without spot or wrinkle or without blemish. I'm like, oh, brother, you need to read the Bible again because the Bible says Jesus did that. That's what the Bible says. And I know we don't like to read some of these verses because they make us uncomfortable, and yet that's still why we read them. If you ever hit a Bible passage that you don't like or it makes you uncomfortable, keep reading. If you ever hit something that you just like, Mark, that doesn't make sense, keep reading reading. Mark, I don't understand. Keep reading. Mark, I don't, I don't have the skill set. Oh, come on. Did God really say that's what the devil's sitting there telling you? And, and we just, the answer is we got to keep reading. This is what he does. He might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Why? Because of the previous verse where he cleansed us. Now take a look at this next passage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Oh, wait, Mark, I thought we were in Ephesians. We are. This is a direct quote of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, found in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Therefore, the Apostle Paul is quoting from the book of Genesis where Moses wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
Now, if you ever join a wedding that I'm preaching at, we'll oftentimes quote this passage very commonly because of why it says that. It's like, here's God's plan for marriage. This is God's plan for marriage. But look at what Paul does. Again, also carried by the Holy Spirit, he takes these words, and what does he say? This mystery is profound. The Greek word for profound there is megos. It means mega. It's big. It's a big mystery. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Guys, he is saying it refers to Christ and the church. He is saying the Bible is interpreting itself and saying it refers to Christ and the church. When Jesus was born, he shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast to his wife, the church, and the two shall become one flesh. Grace creates unity. It has been the powerful message all through the book of Ephesians, no less in this chapter, no less in this verse. And we're, we get all caught up on, well, wives have to submit to their husbands. No, this is about love. This is about fixing what is broken. I was in a marriage counseling session about, I don't know, two years ago, something like that. And we were talking, and, and the husband and the wife, they had so many, they had hurt each other so many times. They had hurt each other so many times, and their hearts were calloused from it. And the wife wouldn't submit to the husband, and the husband never loved the wife as Christ loved the church. He controlled her. He domineered her. And yet, I said to them, this is the answer. This is the answer. This is the answer. It's God's gift to us that Christ is ultimately our husband. And you and I, and I know the men feel weird about that, like, wait, what are you talking about? Nay, just let the Bible speak. Hear his voice. We are the bride of Christ. He makes us righteous so that we can participate with him, so that the husbands can look at Jesus and say, he saved me by his blood. He set me free from my own brokenness. And I look at my wife and how I've hurt her and I've failed her. And he has shown me the path forward. Husbands, lay down for your wives and give them your whole life. And wives, when your husbands do that, what should you do? Take a look at verse 33, because he's like, it's the old question, you know, is this about Jesus and the church or is this about marriage? And of course, the answer by the power of the Holy Spirit is yes. Look what he says. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is biblical marriage. The wife responds to what the husband does first. The wife responds to what the husband does first. I was, I was in a communications class when I was in my undergrad, and they said, adults, you need to tell them everything three times. I've only told you twice. Here comes the third one. The, the, husband, the wife responds when the husband goes first. This is how the Bible sees marriage. Husbands, you go first. If she's wrong and you're right, you still say you're wrong. And you're like, Mark, are you telling me to lie? No, I'm telling you to lay down. I'm telling you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm telling you not to focus on being right. Focus on being a lover. I'm not telling you to surrender your rights. I'm telling you to love your wife as yourself. Wives, this has nothing to do with your position in, in society. 
God sees that all of us are equal. There is neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. And, 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 but this doesn't change who we are. So many people take the, the feminine position and they try to make feminine, you know, all of this, and it becomes like this, about a, a, a jostling for power. What did Jesus do with his power, husbands? What did Jesus do with his power? He laid down. And he died for his bride. And the wives, when you see your husband do it, and it, it'll come, it'll start. If your husband hasn't done that, it'll start a little, it'll be a little awkward. He'll be like, I washed both of the dishes, you know, or something like that. And the, the wife will be like, oh, I guess that's a start. But that's what the wife has to do. Respect the husband. See, if the wife shows up with a bouquet of flowers for the husband, he's like, well, thank you, I think. But if the wife comes in and says, you know what you did to the motorcycle? That just looks fantastic. The husband's going to be, really? You really think that? And I mean, it's just going to be a good night at the house tonight. That's how it's going to be. And so this is the biblical idea of marriage. It is based on Jesus' marriage to you and to me. And if he could give us the gift of growing in this understanding and not getting caught up in what our culture says, about trying to get jostling of power and all of this nonsense, but to get people submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It will change your home. It will change your family. It will change our whole town. And dare I say, it will impact the entire world. All we have to do is look at history to see it happen. No matter what, Jesus is Lord. And no matter what, he laid his life down for you and for me. And he's inviting you and me to join him, to participate with him in the restoration of all things. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would help us do exactly that. That we would not delete these scriptures, but that we would read them and study them and ponder them. And that we would let our emotions come out. And that if we feel like this can't be right, that we would just keep reading that if we start to feel like that can't be what he means, that we would just keep reading. That we would not let, our, not let our own presuppositions and assumptions mold the text, but that we would let the text, your word, God the Father, we would pray that your word, God, would be that which molds our presuppositions, that molds our ideas, that molds our hearts, and restores us to your grace, mercy, and peace. Lord, we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.